The reading this morning is taken from page 1217 in your pew Bibles. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Page 1217, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's select, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater value than gold, which it perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not seeing them serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Donald. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would cause us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and the world as we spend this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're starting a new series, as Charles mentioned, and it is called Growing in Discipleship. Today we're looking at uh, growing in joy. Uh, then we're going to be looking at growing in holiness, growing through the relationships, and finally, Growing through suffering is going to be number four. And as we start, 
looking at this question of, of joy and how we to grow through joy, I think we need to ask, uh, what is joy? How do we understand joy? How would we ref- define joy? Because when we talk about joy, we're not talking about happiness. It's deeper than that. We're not um, talking about pleasure. Again, it's something deeper than that. What is joy? Well, the American pastor John Piper defines joy, and particularly uh, joy in, in Paul's writing, in fact, as a Christian joy, he says, is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. So Christian joy, it's, it's a good feeling. It's a feeling in the soul. It's something that goes really deep. And it's not produced by what's going on around us, but it's produced by the Holy Spirit. It's produced by, by God in us. And it causes us to see the beauty of Christ in all his fullness, in his suffering, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in who he is, in both the Word, the Word of God. So joy is linked to the Word of God. But then also in the world, because our God is a God who who made the world. And so here's a, I think it's a good place to start. But let's, let's pose a couple more questions in order to get us into the zone of joy this morning. Here's the first one. When in life did you feel most joyful? Please don't answer them, um, but just think about these. When in life did you feel most joyful? And if you're going to say it's when your first child was born or when you got married, I'm going to say it's absolutely rubbish because th- those times are so stressful. How could you possibly have joy in, in those times? Uh, pick another one, please. Here's another question. What is your joy dependent on? Is it dependent on your circumstances? Is your joy dependent on your finances? Maybe on your work, your career. Is your joy dependent on other people? Do you think that your greatest moments of joy are behind you or are they in front of you? Behind or in front. Here's another one. Have a look down at verse 8 where we are told that uh, these people that Peter is writing to are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And this is a present continuous tense. They continue to be filled in this way by an inexpressible and glorious joy. Would that describe you and your life? Would that describe you and your life? I think if the answer is, is no or not always, then we might say it's possible for you and for me to grow in joy. And that's a fantastically good thing. And if we're going to grow in joy, then we need to find out what God's word says about joy. And in fact, as we study joy, we could study it from almost any author in the Bible and almost any book in the Bible. 
joy or rejoice comes up over 400 times directly in the Bible. But the idea of joy is referred to many, many countless times more than that. And that is right, because our God is a God of joy. Joy comes from him. But instead of uh, looking at uh, all over the Bible, we're just going to focus in mostly on this little section of, of 1 Peter. But I want to say as a caveat right at the beginning, we're just going to scratch the surface. Uh, there's so much more work to be done by you and me as we explore growing in joy together. So let's start in 1 Peter in verses 1 and 2. We find out uh, Peter says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance, he says. So this is Peter, the the apostle, writing, and he's writing to Christians. He's writing to uh, those exiles, uh, maybe they've left Jerusalem, they've been scattered all over the place. They've ended up in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey and the surrounds. And he says, you have been chosen by God, and you have been sanctified. You've been made holy uh, by God and his foreknowledge and by the sprinkling of the blood. Now, that refers to Leviticus 9, and you can do that work in your, in your own time. Um, but, but, but there's a sprinkling to make the, the altar holy before God. He says, you've been made holy by Jesus. He's speaking to Christians. Verses 3 to 5, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. So often when you read about joy in the Bible... It comes with this word hope as well, because it's forward-looking, and it refers to what's happened to us in our salvation. So there's a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So Christian joy looks back now to what Jesus has done for us on the cross, the evidence of the resurrection, the new life. And it looks forward as well to what's going to happen when Jesus Christ returns. And and again, this is um, something you could say sounds absolutely correct. Because in fact, the whole of the Old Testament looks forward to Jesus in his first coming and forward to him in his second coming. All the writings of the New Testament look back to what Jesus did on the cross and forward to when he comes again. And so it's right that joy, based on salvation, should do exactly the same as well. And what we see as well in this is that joy, if it's bound in God, if it's bound in um, salvation then it's relational. We are birthed out of uh, the love that was in the Trinity between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God can only be love if he's three. 
And so this three-in-one God, a relational God, a God of love, um, in his creativity of his love, births humankind, and we come into being. We come into being for a relationship with him, from this relationship that he has got. And so that is why if everything else disappears in this world, you aren't left with matter. You aren't left with your reputation. Those aren't the things that matter. Those aren't the things that last in this world. What lasts is relationship, our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. So you would expect that the focus of joy in God is how he restores relationship to us in Jesus in his first coming and how we restored fully in our relationship with God the Father uh, altogether in, um, into eternity, into an inheritance which can never uh, spoil or fade. God is relational. When Jesus sent his 72 disciples out, they did some incredible things, driving out demons and healing people who are sick and all sorts. And they came back, this is Luke 10, and they said to Jesus, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And do you remember what Jesus replied? He said, do not rejoice. Do not have joy that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice, have joy that your names are written in heaven. That's the foundation for our joy, is that our names are written in heaven, that we have a relationship with God. Isn't that amazing? So joy, we find out, is relational. And as you scan the Bible in the future, looking for different references for joy, you'll find out that it is, almost, it is always found, founded on our relationship with God, and therefore our relationship with one another. Let's carry on into verses 6 and 7. In all this, this is what's going to come in the future, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In order for gold to be, uh, to be made pure, it has to be refined. It has to go through fire. And he's saying that we have to face some trials which end up refining us. And gold isn't going to exist into the future. It, it disappears. Um, but, but there's something that remains when everything else disappears, which is our relationships, our relationship with God. So we can welcome trials because they refine us, they grow us, they purify our relationship with God. And as these uh, sufferings refine those who uh, Peter's writing to and refine us, they produce glory, you can see in that text, for God. And this is why we exist. Uh, The Westminster Catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And if this is our goal in life, if those are your your primary reason for, for living, 
then we can welcome trials because they can bring God, God glory and therefore bring us joy. So James, uh, Jesus' brother, writes in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 3, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Don't worry about trials. Consider them pure joy. Not even joy, but consider them pure joy, uh, my brothers and sisters. Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, writes of something similar. He says, if all trials and suffering push you towards God, then the enemy has absolutely nothing on you. It means that everything that the enemy can throw at you will simply grow your relationship with God. Isn't that an incredible joy? Isn't that amazing? I had a similar experience back in the day when my mother had cancer. I was, I think I was 15 or 16. Um, and I was pretty shaken by it, in fact. I was going through confirmation at the time. And uh, I had a chat with our um, chaplain in school. His name was Trevor Tyers. Uh, we used to call him Rev Trev. And I went up to Rev Trev. I can't remember whether I called him Rev Trev or not. But I, I, I said to him, would you mind praying with me? Uh, I clearly remember him knocking on the door of my English class and uh, bringing me out and into the chapel. And there he sat me down. I've got absolutely no idea what Rev Trev prayed for me. Uh, But what I do remember is just this sense of, I mean, it was inexpressible joy in in the midst of this uh, confusion and, and suffering that I was going through. Uh, My mum's cancer certainly wasn't something that I wanted. But that inexpressible joy that I felt was absolutely amazing. And I'd love that every day of my life. And all this is to say that joy is not circumstantial. If you can encounter pure joy in suffering and pure joy in trials, if you can encounter inexpressible joy when your mother has cancer, then it means that joy isn't circumstantial. We can have it at any point. Let's carry on going. Uh, and this is where we get to the, to the real heart of it, uh, verse 8 and 9. Though you, have, sorry, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Again, this is present continuous. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we look forward to this joy that's going to be ours in the place where our inheritance is kept in the future with God. We might also look back to the joy that we experienced when we started a relationship with Jesus. If you've done the Alpha course, you might have encountered Nicky Gumbel's incredible story uh, of uh, this chap who spoke to his vicar and said, look, I want to become a Christian, um, but I just don't want to tell people about Jesus. And this wise uh, vicar said to him, okay, look, I think God's going to make an exception for you. Uh, you can quietly become a Christian. You don't have to tell anyone. 
So this chap went up to his room that night and he knelt by his bed uh, and he said, Lord, I'm sorry for the life that I've lived. I, I want to live for you now. I give my life to you. And he was filled with such incredible joy that he sprinted down his steps where his rest of his family was for gathered for a meal. And he said, I want to tell you what I've done. I've become a Christian. It's the most incredible thing. Filled with joy. Um, Maybe some of you have those experiences. I I became a Christian a bit more slowly than that. It wasn't at one moment in particular. But I I do remember encountering John 3.16 for the first time as I read through the New Testament, um, finding out that God really did care so much for me that the Father would send his Son to die so that I can know him. Absolutely amazing. I was literally jumping up and down in the air while reading that. So there's joy in the future. There's joy in the past. But if, if this happens, if, if we're saved in the future, if we're saved in the past, we're also being saved uh, continually. That's our experience. We're continually being saved. Christ isn't continually being sacrificed but we are continually being saved. And if that's true, then this salvation of ours should be producing joy in us. But you might say, just hang on a second. Um, That is true of me sometimes, but I don't always feel that joy all the time. Well, C.S. Lewis has got a fantastic book called Surprised by Joy, which if you haven't read, I definitely would recommend you reading. I'm reading it at the moment. And one of the things he says in his definition of joy, he says, uh, it's an unsatisfied desire which itself is more desirable than any other satisfaction. Joy is an unsatisfied desire which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. This thing that's called joy that's in us is pointing us forward to what will be ours and giving us that desire. And there'll be times when you don't feel the joy, but you'll want it. You'll have a desire for desire. And that will be enough, and we'll push forward in that direction. Um, Also, you you might want to know that, that the Christian can't lose his or her joy. If joy comes from God and is involved as, it is God in us, the Holy Spirit in us, as Christians, then we can't ever lose our joy fully. But our joy can be obstructed. And this brilliant man, Jerry Bridges, has written a book called The Practice of Godliness with a fantastic chapter of it, in, uh, chapter in joy in, in, in that. And he goes through uh, four different ways how joy can be obstructed. I'm just going to give you two of them very, very quickly. Um, one of them is, is sin. So he points to Uh, what David has to say in Psalm 51 after he's been caught in adultery with Bathsheba. In fact, we read these very words together in the confession. Um, David says, um, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. When they sin, that's separating us from God. It's going to diminish our joy. And we need to pray for that joy. We need to pray for forgiveness and therefore the joy to be restored. Uh, Another way that joy can be obstructed uh, is misplaced confidence. Paul in Romans 15, 13 uh, says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace 
as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy is linked to trusting God, and as our trust in God grows, or if we stop trusting God as we repent and we put our trust back in God, we'll find joy increasing. So there's two. If you want the other two, you need to read this book by Jerry Bridges. Again, The Practice of Godliness, absolutely brilliant. But we're talking about how we can grow in joy. So you might be asking, give us a few more things. It's worth saying that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. From Galatians 5, we read that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit who is in us who believe. And so, and the fruit of the Spirit is, is fruit singular, which means that you can't have any of the fruits by themselves, but you have all of the fruit together. So if we want to increase the fruit of the Spirit, we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to be at work in us. Also, we find out because joy is a fruit, it's an end product. It's not the tree, but it's the fruit. And the tree is our relationship with God. So if we want to grow joy in our lives, we want to grow, therefore, the relationship we have with God. Now, you all know a lot about relationships, and you know how to grow relationships. You know how you need to be having quality time together daily, quality time together weekly, date nights, maybe holidays. Have you thought about a holiday with God? It's called a retreat. How about having a holiday with God? Um, Grow your relationship with God, and you'll see joy coming through as well. So let's be growing our relationships with God. Let's be praying for the Holy Spirit to be at work in us. And we're going to pray for that in a second. But here's one more. Why don't we commit to being joy spotters? To spot joy in our lives and thank God for, it, for them, for the joy. But also spot joy in other people's lives and rejoice with them. Since we're called to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. If someone's just been on a great holiday uh, where um, they've had fantastic time with their children, maybe, who they really needed to reconnect with, and they come back to you and say, that was a great time, say to them, point out that joy. Say, what a joy that must have been. I mean, let's thank God for that joy. Or you might see things in your life that you spot and want to thank God for. Let's be joy spotters um, together as we encourage each other in this area, and we grow together um, closer to the Lord in relationship with him. Let's pray.